Welcome to this episode of BC's Path to Universal Childcare podcast. I would like to acknowledge and recognize that this podcast is recorded on the traditional unceded lands of the Coast Salish people, including the Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, and Musqueam nations. In the process of reforming childcare in BC, it is important to recognize and honor Indigenous ways of knowing that have nurtured the children of this land from time immemorial. This is a recognition of their presence both in the past and the present, and that colonialism is a current ongoing process that continues to impact Indigenous people's ways of being. Thanks, Nora. In our podcast series, we have taken a closer look at many ways that childcare in BC has been transforming uh, from the reduced parent fees, the wage initiatives for educators, the expansion of 10 a day programs throughout the province, to name just a few. And educators endeavor every day to create warm, inviting, and inclusive spaces to nurture children. And in recent years, all over the world, extreme weather events and climate change has increased and the impacts have been felt by everyone. In BC, we have experienced extreme heat and cold, atmospheric rainstorms, unprecedented flooding, forest fires causing damaging air quality. Today, we welcome Eric Swanson. Eric is the founder, founding partner of Third Space Planning, at which they support local governments and not-for-profit organizations with planning and policy development. Eric is a co-author of the policy note, Child Care and the Environment, Intersections and Opportunities in BC, with Linnell Anderson uh, for ECEBC and the Coalition of Child Care Advocates of BC. Yes, and amid all the intense changes in policy, responding to the COVID-19 pandemic and the staffing crisis in our sector, the climate emergency must be considered to protect our children's health and development and for the design of childcare programs that are resilient to climate change. This is a huge undertaking that overlaps or intersects with so many issues that families face every day. Thankfully, Eric will help us understand how we can support the recommendations in the policy note to impact climate climate change. Welcome, Eric, and over to you, Gida. Thanks so much, Crystal and Nora. And again, hi, Eric. Delighted to have you today, welcoming you to our podcast with this huge topic. We thank you for taking the time to be with us today, and we're really excited to have you here on our podcast, BC's Path to Universal Child Care. So as the first opening question, Eric, please share with us a little bit about your own background and how your research and experience led you to focus on childcare and the environment. Well, thanks so much, Gita. It's a pleasure to be here. And I'm grateful to be joining today from the territories of the Lekwungen speaking peoples of the Esquimalt and Songhees nations. And I've spent much of my career in nonprofit environmental advocacy. So when I began working with the Coalition of Childcare Advocates of BC and the 10 a day campaign, I was personally motivated to look at the connections between childcare and the environment. And all the more so since I now have two young daughters and I want, to, mm. I want them to be able to learn and play and grow in healthy environments. Um, at an organizational level, the 10 a day campaign recognized that we're at a moment of intense disruption and change from the climate emergency to 
the affordability and opioid crises. And if we want to push toward a BC that works for everyone, we're gonna to need to seek out intersections between seemingly disparate issues and act in ways that advance multiple goals at the same time. So in that spirit, the 10 a day campaign, so the Coalition of Childcare Advocates of BC and the ECEBC wanted to look at how the issues of childcare and the environment and climate change were all connected and look for concrete actions that the province of BC could take to strengthen and hasten and better integrate its existing childcare and climate plans in ways that improve the health and well-being of children and families and communities on this on this big journey that we're all on towards universal childcare and a clean and sustainable uh, economy that that works for everyone. Fantastic response, Eric, wherein you joined your personal, your professional, your public, and your political uh, strengths and advocacy, obviously motivated by having two young daughters and the need for us to push forward um, with concrete actions for health and well-being in the early childhood environment. So, um, that is a really good segue to our next question, Eric, asking you what kinds of connections between these issues of childcare, the environment, and climate change have you identified? Right. So great question. And, you know, there are bound to be more connections than we ourselves have identified. For example, in that policy note that we wrote and you refer to, but so far I can speak to six broad connections and what I can do Gita is maybe just lay them all out there in summary. For that them. would be great, please. Fantastic. And then we can dive into more detail kind of as needed from there. So the first and second connections between childcare, the environment and climate change are all about ensuring that children and educators can play and learn and work in healthy physical environments. So that's the first connection. Now that are also low carbon. So that's the second connection. Now here we recognize that part of caring for our children is ensuring that they can play and learn and grow and work. Um, or, and and edu educators can work in healthy social and physical environments. And we know that young children are at higher risk for health impacts from things like chemical exposures, and radiation and pollution and other environmental stressors. So in childcare settings, ensuring a healthy physical environment means decreasing exposure to things like toxic chemicals, air, water, and noise pollution, and increasing exposure to things like natural light and nature and living elements. So the basic opportunity with this connection um, is that as BC builds out a system of universal childcare, builds hundreds and thousands of new facilities, we make sure that those new facilities are built and that programs are operated in ways that advance environmental health for both children and staff and eliminate carbon pollution. The, the third connection relates to transportation and it's all about how we get to and from childcare. So here we start by recognizing that as families gain access to childcare for the first time, they'll be adding new trips to their daily schedule and other families seeking Perhaps childcare options closer to home or school or work will switch up their daily trip planning to match. And the basic opportunity with this connection is to help lower emissions and advance public health by you know, reducing the, the number and length of family and educator vehicle trips and just by making it safe and easy to walk or wheel to, to childcare. Hmm. The fourth connection I can talk about relates to 
childcare's critical role in, in actually powering the clean economy. So here we can start by recognizing that to meet BC's climate goals, you know, it's going to require just a massive mobilization of human capital and skills and talent and new forms of economic growth and jobs that are less emissions intensive. So, you know, fewer carbon, less carbon pollution associated with it and strong support for households that are impacted by this big transition. So the opportunity here is to just better integrate BC's childcare and climate plans and prioritize the continued build out of universal childcare in order to help catalyze an increase in BC's clean economy labor capacity, especially among women, to grow our economy while lowering its emissions intensity and to provide this big affordability buffer for families who are negatively impacted by perhaps job losses or, or other transition stressors. Uh, a couple more to go uh, on this summary journey. The, the fifth is about how childcare fee uh, frees up families to be more engaged in the transition to a clean economy that we all need to undertake. And here we start by recognizing a lot of people's basic experience uh, that by, you know, uh, you know, when you don't have childcare, it can be hard to think about anything else. You know, you just don't have mm -hmm. the time and bandwidth to engage. Mm -hmm. um, and so recognizing that, you know, this clean economy transition is an all hands on deck kind of thing, you know, requiring everybody at every level to be involved, you know, a, a universal program like childcare can free up individuals and families to become kind of more engaged in that. Um, the sixth and final connection I, I can talk to and, um, it's kind of related to the first is all about helping children engage with environmental themes, you know, and the land as teacher. We didn't dive into this particular connection in our own recent report because the report was focused on things that the provincial government could do. But it's critical to recognize that early childhood educators do play a key role at this intersection between childcare and the environment. You know, we already talked about how we want children to spend more time in nature and natural, healthy outdoor environments. Uh, but we can also recognize that as the urgency and the impacts and, and the anxieties related to climate change and biodiversity loss, et cetera, continue to mount, ECEs you know, play a key role in co-creating a more livable and, and just and sustainable world alongside children and families and communities um, via their own pedagogical and ethical commitments. So those you know are some of the many connections we've started to see between childcare, the environment and climate change and all of them are exciting you know i think and all of them are actionable uh when it comes to both provincial policy and you know what we as individuals and families and and eces and programs can do wow eric what a comprehensive helpful uh, overview you've given with the six key issues all the way from ensuring uh, that children and we play, grow, learn and work in a healthy environment, all about low carbon emissions and toxicity, uh, transportation, uh, empowering a clean economy and freeing families to be more engaged in the whole issue of environment and then helping children learn and engage with the environment and nature. And that, your final point, I think, uh, Eric, just really highlights the fact that children have 
a larger capability and capacity than we often think. And their um, interest in and integration of a lot of the terms and vocabulary and meaning is absolutely critical in the preschool year. So great, I've taken three pages of notes so far. <laughs> Our next question, in terms of design, what recommendations would you have for our early childhood community as they either contemplate or are in the process of some design or redesign in their settings? Right. So this really takes us back to that first connection about protecting children's and educators' environmental health in the, in, in the child care setting. And there are really two key drivers of environmental health. The first is how we design these facilities. Um, and perhaps um, also if we're undertaking major renovations, how we how we renovate them. And the important, the important thing here is you, we only get one crack at this. <laughs> you know, like design only happens kind of once at the facility creation stage. And then again, uh, you know, perhaps if you're undertaking major renovations. So the mm -hmm. second driver of environmental health is, you know, after a setting or a facility has already been set up, how is it operated? on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, what decisions are made, what practices are in place to protect environmental health kind of day in and day out. And, you know, in both cases, so at the design, at the operational level, you're looking again to do a couple big things. The first is to decrease exposure to the bad stuff. So here again, we're talking about air and water and noise pollution and toxic chemicals. And we want to increase exposure to all of that good stuff, uh, natural light, fresh air, nature, natural environments, and, you know, living elements. Um, and of course, you know, how well a facility is designed and built has a huge impact on the ability of educators and program administrators um, to do stuff at the operational level, because you just, you run into constraints. I'll give you an example. So, you know, we've been trying to build out the system of universal childcare. We've had this new spaces fund that's funding new facilities. You know, we get a huge, huge range, you know, of quality of facilities showing up. Um, from really kind of world-class uh, design facilities that you can walk in and everybody can be proud of to other facilities that are a bit more worrisome, you know, like, you know, con converted convenience mm. stores and strip malls with asphalt play surfaces on busy roads, um, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, at this point in the, on the path to universal childcare, like this, is, we have a huge opportunity in front of us to kind of lock in really high quality facilities. Um, you know, or you know, hopefully not, but um, if not, it'll be a big missed opportunity, I guess, should, I guess I should say. So that's kind of kind of the context to get in. Now I could talk about some of the major um, considerations when it comes to design. Yeah, that would be great, Eric. I, I just love how you're giving us concrete examples. So if you could just broaden a little bit by uh, speaking to some of the major considerations, I think we'd all appreciate learning. Fantastic. So when it comes to designing for environmental health, you know, the first thing we can think of is siting. Where are we putting these facilities? And, you know, ideal locations will be um, on or near other community facilities. So on school grounds, on or near community parks and in community centers and facilities. Um, kind of the opposite of that is, is similar to what I mentioned, some, some of these more kind of on busy arterial roads, in kind of commercial strip mall sort of situations, it really, really matters where we place 
childcare facilities and therefore we're replacing our children and we're asking our educators to show up every day to work. So siting is, is the first big thing. Where are we putting these facilities? Um, you know, the second big thing we can talk about is size. You know, how much room are we allowing our children, you know, when they show up every day to play, learn and grow? And, you know, there was a bit of a, a worrisome decision back under a previous government to reduce the amount of size that we give to our, our children outside, for example, under the child care licensing regulation. The current minimum amount of space that we're giving to children under that regulation is six meters squared, so half the typical parking space. Whereas, you know, the best available research and leading jurisdictions suggest we should be closer to the nine to 14 meters squared range kind of per child, closer to, you know, Vancouver's, you know, recent guidelines. Um, and so we need to be choosing sites and ensuring that we're give, giving our children kind of space to thrive. Um, the next, you know, category we can talk about is a bunch of mechanical stuff, you know, like we're starting to experience these heat waves every summer, we need to make sure that we have AC in these facilities. And there's a lot of examples of, of childcare settings that currently lack that. We're now being exposed to these very intense wildfire seasons where smoke is wafting across communities into and through buildings. And so we need to make sure that um, new childcare facilities are designed with adequate, adequate ventilation and filtration systems to take that really, really harmful particulate pollution from smoke out of the air. Uh, we need to be talking about noise mitigation. <clears throat> Obviously, kids, you know, children are going to play and be loud. There's a lot we can do to make sure that these facilities, you know, are as quiet as possible because we know that, it, you know, a constant kind of din of noise has real consequences on both the health of children and educators. Uh, we need to be, you know, going outside and checking in the soil for things like lead contamination you know, from the decades and decades of lead paint usage, um, you know, in our communities, all, all these sorts of things. Um, so I guess those are some examples of kind of the big things we need to be looking for at the design stage. Well, that was just great, Eric, um, given that you highlighted um, decreasing exposure to the bad stuff and increasing exposure to the good stuff with these examples ranging all the way from the location and the siting of uh, childcare settings near other community facilities, space to thrive, play, learn, and grow. And that you actually mentioned that uh, the square footage now is six meter and really should be closer to nine all the way up to the 14 range. And then all of these mechanical issues. So um, excellent learnings. Thank you again. And uh, that leads us to a final question. Going forward, how can our early childhood profession advocate for all that we have learned from you today? Well, what I can maybe do is um, point out that of all those things I was talking about, so like you said, decreasing exposure to the bad things and increasing mm -hmm. exposure to the good things, giving kids more space, choosing the right site, ensuring all the equipment's in place. The unfortunate fact has been it actually hasn't been possible to build these facilities with provincial capital funding, you know, recently, like over the past many years, because of specific decisions and criteria that the province have implemented, a costing thresholds that, that is way too low, for example. For many years, um, the province wanted providers to build new facilities at a cost of $40,000 per child. 
Um, that kind of costing threshold was based on kind of the previous market paradigm where, you know, for-profit mm. providers could come in and save some money at the front end, but then, you know, take public money, money over the long term. And we'd end up with relatively low quality facilities and or kind of a draining of public funds over the long term. And so this, there's these old costing thresholds that are rooted in kind of old failed paradigms. And then we now urgently need to increase. And so I, the province has started to raise those thresholds. And they have undertaken this, this big, exciting project to, for the first time, create province-wide childcare facility design standards to help everyone. Um, you know, and hopefully they're going to be strong. That's the big piece to respond to your question. We need to make sure these standards are strong and that there's enough money uh, being planned for in provincial capital plans to, to allow public and nonprofit institutions to build these high-quality facilities. So... Um, you know, and just anecdotally, I, I, I want to share just like another kind of local example, Gita. Of yes, where please do. Aren't quite working how we sh we want them to work. And so I also just happened to volunteer on the board of a local 10 a day uh, site. And, you know, we just gained access to new space on school district grounds um, to run some additional out of school programs and three to five programs. And that's great. Um, unfortunately, you know, the facilities that ended up being built were new portables, probably trying to hit that 40,000 per space cost threshold. They're kind of one room portables, dominant overhead fluorescent lighting, not a lot of natural light, no staff mm. break rooms. So our staff have, have no opportunity to take a break inside. Um, very limited storage, no AC. Um, I haven't gotten into the mechanical room yet, but I doubt there's kind of the level of air filtration we're after as well. And so, you know, we're seeing like a, like the good news is that the province seems to get the urgency and we're trying to rapidly expand, but like we're missing big opportunities here. We're building a ton of facilities that are just going to be a pain um, over the long term to maintain. And they're going to come with concrete costs in terms of recruitment and retention of educators and kind of our children's health. So we really, 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 <laughs> we really need to get this right right now. Um, and like I said, there's this ongoing project that the province is undertaking to refresh design standards. So the sector, to your question, what can we do? What can we advocate for? We need the sector to, you know, when everybody has a moment um, and when it's appropriate, you know, communicate with the ministers. So Minister Singh and Minister Lohr, ministers responsible for education and childcare, and ask them to please adopt the highest possible standards. Um, They'll be presented with a bunch of options from you know, consultants. We need them to pick the strongest one. And we need them to implement a multi-year capital plan that pays for these things. It's worth it. <laughs> like It is worth it to, to build high quality now. It'll save us money in the long term. You know, we'll get all sorts of benefits uh, in terms of health and wellness. Um, and so that's the big ask right now, Gita, is to, to mm -hmm. make sure we pick the strongest standards and that we're willing to make the necessary investments. Um, Excellent. Yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, Eric. Please go ahead. Oh, it can go on for days, but I'll I'll, I'll keep it short. The, the second one is so design. We're talking about design is the big driver environment, or one of the big drivers of environmental health. The second is operation, operations. So once you know you build a facility, whether it's great or not so great, you can still do a bunch of stuff to make sure that you know everybody working there and all the all the children playing and, and growing there are healthy. And so this includes just basic stuff like. Um, air quality sensors, you know, inside. There's a bunch of relatively affordable models now to know whether, for example, smoke from wildfires is getting inside. You can then buy relatively affordable portable air filters to make sure that we're cleaning the air of smoke. And, you know, in addition to viruses and things, you know, coming out of the mm -hmm. pandemic. 
Um, there are great, great, just great third-party resources to help, you know, educators and program administrators choose healthy materials and avoid, you know, avoid some of the more kind of toxic um, materials for toys and coatings and this sort of thing. But what we also need, where this is all going is, you know, it's great to have this third-party stuff, but it would also be amazing for the province to accompany, accompany these new design standards with um, provincial operating guidelines for all childcare programs. So here are the kind of the basic things you can do to help run uh, your your programs on a daily basis with health in mind, and attach some resources to that. You know to help programs actually do these things like buy filters and buy sensors and all this stuff. So um, those those would be kind of the two priority actions right now. You know, I'm thinking, Eric, for the majority of us who did or even are currently doing our early childhood studies at the college or university level, the kind of information uh, that you've offered us today is something that sadly, badly, I think is not or has not been in the curriculum. So, you know, the issues of design and operating issues, um, the need for province-wise standards that are strong, um, I think are things, at least for me, that I'm really learning brand new from you today and all your research and planning. We did very recently have a podcast with uh, our new minister, Grace Lore, and she said that she would be very interested in speaking us with a uh, speaking, pardon me, with us again in the future. So I think to lift some of these questions and issues forward directly with her would be very useful and important advocacy. So I'm just thinking, Eric, that uh, I'm sure for most of us listening to the podcast, this was a, an entirely new domain and dimension of our learnings about creating the best possible childcare settings that we can. We thank you endlessly for answering our questions and for enlightening and engaging us in this conversation. Uh, really Collectively, our mega thanks. <laughs> oh, my mega thanks back to you for all your work. It was a pleasure to be on. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gita and Eric. This was so interesting to hear all the recommendations and the challenges to move them forward. But um, listening to um, to this, I agree. This is um, opportunities that that should not be lost as we are reforming childcare in BC and and building new spaces. And I think we're all really eager to see those de design guidelines for the province. If you'd like to read um, the childcare and the environment intersections and opportunities in BC policy uh, note, uh, head over to the tenaday.ca website or ecebc.ca um, to read the complete document. Um, and remember to join West Coast email list so you um, know when our next e uh, podcasts are going to be released. And you can do that at um, wstcoast.org. And stay tuned for more episodes where we chat with other childcare professionals and advocates and others from our field. Until our next episode, this is BC's Path to Universal Childcare podcast signing off.